We give all of our staff men uh, telephones for uh, the use of the ministry, I think iPhones, and uh, so we do use a tracking app. I've been tracking Nathan Burt since he was 12 years old, <laughs> and it's just been very interesting for me. Donut shop, donut, no, not really, Brother Burt, but uh, I'm so glad that we have the technology you were mentioning, and I hope you'll take advantage of those uh, tools. And it's good to greet many new students this semester, and of course we have many that graduated mid-semester and we're proud of them and we'll see them walk in a few months, but what a great thing to train for the life of ministry to the Lord Jesus Christ. And we thank God for you and thank God for what He's done already. I feel a little bit of pressure. I was talking to a pastor last night, and uh, about maybe about 10 o'clock last night he called and and uh, he, he was sharing some things with me and he said, you know, I have a young man there at the college and he said... Dr. Getch preached to the men uh, this morning, and he said it was in the top three best messages he's ever heard. Did you preach yesterday morning, Brother Getch? No. So he did, God didn't even know what he's talking about. And I said to myself, I said, I, I was thinking, I said, I said, I don't think Brother Getch preached in chapel today, but I said, well, pray that I can get into the top five tomorrow. That would be my goal. So I didn't know we were keeping track like that, but uh, uh, I know we've had a little bit of a different schedule Monday and Tuesday as far as morning times and a lot of orientation, but I agree with Dr. Getch. I'm glad to get back on the schedule now with chapel and uh, with our classes, of course. And would you stand, please, and open your Bibles and turn to 2 Timothy chapter 1 and uh, verse number 8, 2 Timothy chapter 1. And I'd like to speak to you this morning on the responsibilities of a man of God. And uh, I, I do not say that to uh, speak lightly of the ladies in the room, uh, but uh, I, I must uh, confess to the ladies in the room that uh, we believe that God uh, calls men to preach and to pastor and to be overseers. We are not a woke college that's trying to go against the Bible and and uh, promote uh, uh, the LBGTQ or the uh, various different movements that are out there, feminism and so forth. And as I see the scriptures, the Bible says if a man desires the office of a bishop, he desires a good work. And one of the requirements for a pastor is that he's the husband of one wife. And so I want to speak to the men. But as I say that, uh, I, I do believe that uh, we need, as, as men of God, uh, both men and women in the church to be faithful to the Word, to be faithful in even teaching. My wife is teaching right now about a hundred ladies from the Word of God. And, and that speaks to the importance, ladies, of your education and the fact that you need to have sound theology and you need to have an understanding of how to teach uh, children and education and so forth. And so uh, I trust you'll understand the heart of that when sometimes we refer to uh, the men of God or things of that nature in ministry. 2 Timothy chapter 1, verse 8, Be not thou therefore ashamed of the testimony of our Lord, nor of me his prisoner, but be thou partaker of the affliction of the gospel according to the power of God, who hath saved us and called us with an holy calling, not according to our works, but according to his own purpose and grace, which was given us in Christ Jesus before the world began but is now made manifest by the appearing of our Savior, Jesus Christ, who hath abolished death and hath brought life and immortality to light through the gospel, whereunto I am appointed a preacher and an apostle, a teacher of the Gentiles. 
For the which cause I also suffer these things. Nevertheless, I am not ashamed, for I know whom I have believed, and am persuaded that he is able to keep that which I have committed unto him against that day. Hold fast the form of sound words which thou hast heard of me in faith and love which is in Christ Jesus. That good thing which was committed unto thee keep by the Holy Ghost which dwelleth in us. This thou knowest, that all they which are in Asia be turned away from me, of whom are Phagellus and Hermogenes. The Lord give mercy unto the house of Onesiphorus, for he oft refreshed me and was not ashamed of my chain. But when he was in Rome, he sought me out very diligently and found me. The Lord grant unto him that he may find mercy of the Lord in that day, and in how many things he ministered unto me at Ephesus, thou knowest very well. What a rich passage. Let's pray and see what God has for us today. Father, we thank you today for the infallible word of God. We thank you, Father, for the attention that is given in your word to the office of the pastor, to the local church, to the work of preaching. And as we see some of these grand subjects in our text this morning, I pray that you would give us a sense of the soberness and the privilege of being Christians and uh, being called to preach and to serve you. And Lord, bless this semester with thy presence, with thy working, and meet every need of our students, I pray in Jesus' name, amen. You may be seated. I often try to imagine how the Apostle Paul must have felt when he was there in that prison in Rome as he was writing this book of 2 Timothy, which some refer to as his last will and testament. What would it be like to know that you're about to die? What would it be like to know that your death is imminent simply because you believe in Jesus Christ. I don't know that we're on the precipice of that just yet in America, but I must tell you this is one of the reasons that the Lord placed on my heart for our church this year, the theme Courageous, because we're watching many Christians compromise and compromise and quit and quit, and very few courageously stand in their generation. And there's no doubt in my mind that the Apostle Paul is challenging here, Timothy, to stand in his generation courageously. Now, it is believed that this book may have been written just before Paul was placed into that dungeon known as the Mamertine prison. He is a man that is facing death in that Mamertine prison. We know that this prison was about 12 feet underground. It had only one little escape hatch. It was really just a, a sewage drainage that went down to the Tiber River there in Rome. And sometimes history records that people who died before they were martyred by maybe uh, uh, hanging or beheading or being thrown to the lions or whatever the case would be, sometimes they were, they were just flushed down, if you will, to the river. This was a place uh, that was not known for a prolonged imprisonment. It was a temporary place uh, uh, until Nero decided it was time for your head to roll. And when I think about Paul's last days, I think of that, that place, that prison, uh, how disgusting, how, how discouraging it might have been to be there. And then I think about the people in his life, and I wonder, where were they? 
all the people that he had served in so many churches around Asia Minor and around the known world, really what we would call the Holy Land. And, and he tells us about some of the people in his life. He tells us in 2 Timothy chapter 4 and verse 10, Demas hath forsaken me, having loved this present world. I hope none of your pastors ever say that about you. I hope that your pastor doesn't say about you, you know, John was a good kid, but he just got into some false doctrine. He's not really serving the Lord. He's not really living for the Lord. I, I hope no one ever says about you, Demas hath forsaken me, having loved this present world. You know, he got into these podcasts. He got into these websites. He got into this kind of a compromising philosophy. He doesn't even want to come and talk. I don't ever see him anymore. Paul said of another couple of those that he had labored with, and I think you read about it there in verse 15, about these two men, Phagellus and Hermogenes. He said that they had also turned away. Notice the word there in verse 15. Uh, these that were in Asia are turned away. You see, uh, when you repent, you turn to the Lord, but when you fall away, when your heart grows cold, and when you begin to deny truth or live in sin, you turn away from that which you once said was right. And I just think about this. You're in prison because you're trying to be faithful for the Lord, and some of the very people you spent your life investing in aren't being faithful to the Lord. I think that would be a heaviness on his heart. No doubt it was, for we find it in the Word of God. He saw cowardice where he should have seen courage. And what we need today are men and women who, while others in their cowardice are turning to a Christianity light, and while some are turning away and deconstructing completely their faith, we need today some men and women who with courage will say, I still believe what the Bible says, and I will not compromise it. Every church, every pastor, no doubt, has had this experience of seeing some that turn away. But thank God there was another man. You may have saw his name mentioned in verse 16. The Lord give mercy unto the house of Onesiphorus, for he oft refreshed me, and notice this phrase, and was not ashamed of my chain. That would have been a blessing. There you are, chained for the gospel's sake. There you are, the shunned apostle. There you are, the, the, the apostle who's going to die because he was so fervent for Jesus. And some of his own disciples, some of his own students, uh, they, they had turned completely away from him. But he said, I just want to pause and say, I'm so thankful for Onesiphorus because he wasn't ashamed of my chain." He had a prison ministry. He came and he visited me, and he loved me, and he helped me. I want to encourage you, men. When you see men of God who are not compromising the Word of God, when you see your pastor standing true, someone left the church, someone wrote him a hate mail, whatever the case might be, you would be wise to learn how to refresh the man of God. 
Because someday, as you serve as a man of God, you'll hope that somebody refreshes you when the going gets tough. Learn how to write a thank you note. Learn how to text an encouraging text. Learn how to bear the burden even of those who have brought you along in the faith. Onesiphorus pictures that. And in Paul's final days, he shows us that, that even in the difficult times, we can courageously provide a testimony for the next generation. And I want you to see the testimony that Paul leaves for us this morning. I want you to notice, if you're taking notes this morning, first of all, that he was biblically confident. The Apostle Paul was biblically confident. And in this time when it might look like he was completely down and out and it might look like, you know, uh, that this was just going to end in tragedy, the Holy Spirit uses him to say in verse 11, Whereunto I am appointed a preacher and an apostle and a teacher of the Gentiles. He says to us, I know that I have a calling from God. 2 Timothy 1 and verse 7, he says, For God hath not given us the spirit of fear, but of power and of love and of a sound mind. And as Dr. Getz preached last night, Paul was not facing this moment in fear. He was not facing death in fear. He was facing it knowing that he was in the center of God's will. As a God-called preacher, he was being faithful to the very end. And that's not always the case. I've known thousands of preachers. And I can testify to you that not all finish their race faithfully for the Lord. Yes, we live in a challenging time and we see the legalization of marijuana. We see the legalization of gay marriage. We see the world legalizing all kinds of weird things. And yet someone needs to stand up and tell the truth that marijuana is a gateway drug that will ruin your mind and ruin your life. And somebody needs to tell the truth about marriage, that God ordained marriage to be between a man and a woman. And if that places you in a difficult position, then so be it. You will be faithful to the teachings of God's Word. This was the life that Paul had lived, and sometimes it can get a little bit overwhelming. I heard about a, uh, a situation in Houston, Texas a few years ago. They were having a lot of problems with dog biting, and these dogs, packs of dogs, were coming into neighborhoods and, and biting people. And, and, uh, but there was one little boy that somehow had escaped this, and uh, the news reporter that had been following the story, she finally found him, and his name was DJ, and she caught up to him, and she said, DJ, uh, tell me a little bit about, about how you, amongst all these young people, uh, avoided being so terribly bitten by that pack of dogs, and DJ said, well, he said, he said, really, right in the middle of the attack, the Lord spoke to me, and she said, he did. What did the Lord tell you? And DJ said, the Lord told me, run, DJ, run. And I see a lot of people, when the attacks come, they run. And God is calling us today to learn how to stand and be faithful in our generation. Paul was confident. He was biblically confident. Not self-confident, but biblically confident. Now notice this, if you would, in verse number 11. First of all, he says, whereunto I am appointed a preacher. He was confident in his calling. Sometimes we talk, even amongst the leadership of the college, about a calling versus just recognizing that God already has called you and placed you into the ministry. And sometimes we look at passages like Isaiah 6, and, and, and we see there uh, the call of God, the Trinity, on Isaiah's life. Who will go for us? 
God says. And Isaiah answered the question, Here am I, Lord, send me. Here we see in 2 Timothy, the Apostle Paul using a different term. He says, I was appointed a preacher. Nevertheless, there was not a question mark in his mind. He knew that God had called him to be a preacher. And may God give us men from this college who can say, I have been called. I believe God has appointed me. And in the general sense, every man here is called to be a preacher. Every woman, for that matter, is called to be a witness, a soul winner. But specifically, God is speaking to us through this passage to tell us that there are some that have a divine appointment to preach the gospel of Jesus Christ. Paul said in 1 Timothy 1.12, I thank Christ our Lord who hath enabled me for he hath counted me faithful putting me into the ministry. May I submit to you it is a high and holy privilege to stand and preach the word of God. Paul knew that. He was appointed as a preacher. The word here is keruk. It means to declare with authority. And we have many that are quite weak and mamsy-pamsy and and speaking about the movie they watched last week and the lesson they learned from it and speaking about current events or sports and maybe a verse or two. But Paul the Apostle was called to declare, to rightly divide the word of truth. He was a preacher, the Bible tells us, and we read of this in 2 Timothy 4 and verse 1. I charge thee therefore before God and the Lord Jesus Christ who shall judge the quick and the dead at his appearing and his kingdom. Preach the word. Be instant in season out of season. Reprove, rebuke and exhort with all long suffering and doctrine. For the time will come when men will not endure sound doctrine. But after their own lusts shall heap unto themselves teachers having itching ears and they shall turn away their ears from the truth and shall be turned unto fables. And that's the day we live in today. People have these ears. They want to have them tickled. They want to hear what they want to hear. They want their felt needs met. But Paul said, my my calling was not to be a psychotherapist. My calling was to be a preacher who rightly divided the Word of God. He said, I am confident in this calling, verse 11. He says, whereunto I am appointed a preacher. He was specifically a preacher of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Verse 10 says, but is now made manifest by the appearing of our Savior, Jesus Christ, who hath abolished death and hath brought life and immortality to light through the gospel. This was his message, the death burial and resurrection of Jesus Christ. And I get tickled at some preachers today. They act like the gospel is a brand new word that they have invented. I want to tell you something, friend. The glorious gospel of Jesus Christ has been the centerpiece of every true church since the founding of the church by the Lord Jesus Christ himself. And if you're not lifting up Christ, you're not a biblical preacher at all. Paul understood that he had a calling, and the Bible says in Acts 20, 24, but none of these things move me, neither count I my life dear unto myself, so that I might finish my course with joy and the ministry which I have received of the Lord Jesus to testify of the gospel, of the grace of God. Listen, Paul said, I have received this ministry. Paul says here in this passage that he was appointed a priest 
preacher, Isaiah said that he answered a call. I don't know all the vernacular that you may use, but one thing we need are men who know that there's a burning passion in their heart to preach the Word of God. I just told Brother Burt, I got a call yesterday from a rest home. They said, we'd like to have a service if you have someone who could preach, maybe a few who could sing. When he announces that, there ought to be many of you in your heart who thought, man, I'd like to do that. I'd like to stand up and proclaim the gospel. I'd like to have that opportunity. What a privilege it would be. And God, help us if we don't have men in this room whose great desire is to go out and preach the gospel of Jesus Christ. Paul said, I was appointed to this. I'm I'm confident of this. People in this community are looking for churches that have pastors where the pastor is not just doing a vocation. It's not just a career, but there's the sense of a calling there. There's the sense that this is the passion of his life. I remember a few years ago when Sergeant Steve Owen was killed on the west side of our town. He had attended our church for some time, L.A. County Sheriff's deputy. Came around a corner. A man was hiding. The man shot Sergeant Owen in the face. The mayor called me and said, come down to the emergency room. I went as quickly as I could. By the time I got there, there were already four or 500 deputies surrounding the hospital. I went into the room. I saw his wife and son. I greeted and hugged them. They had Sergeant Owen's body basically kind of survival mode with drugs, the epinephrine and such, kind of keeping him looking like he was there. But Dr. Crabb, I really believe his soul had departed already by the time I'd walked in there. We waited until the doctors pronounced that he was gone. His wife called me a few hours later. She said, Pastor Chapel, she said, I would like to ask you if you would allow us to have the funeral service at Lancaster Baptist Church. She said, um, Steve loved your preaching, especially on prophecy. He loved prophecy. I said, we'd be honored. She said, I only have two requests of you. She said, number one, do not allow Governor Gavin Newsom to speak in the service because he's the one who signed the bill uh, that allowed the criminal to get out of prison that killed my husband. And she said, number two, would you please give one of those invitations like you do every Sunday morning and ask all of Steve's friends to get saved? Every city needs a man whose testimony is clear, whose citizens know That if they want to understand God's love and if they want to understand the gospel, that then that's the man to call. That's the place to go. And Paul said, I was appointed to this. That's what my life was really all about. He was confident in his calling. Secondly, he was confident in his cause. Verse 12, for the which cause I also suffered these things. You see, the God-called man is not going through the motions. His life is being lived for a great cause, and it is the cause of Jesus Christ that he lives for. He's not living for self. He's not living for money. He's not living for experiences. He is living for the cause, he says in verse 12, for the which cause I also suffered these things. Nevertheless, I am not ashamed. 
For I know whom I have believed, and I'm persuaded that he is able to keep that which I've committed unto him against this day. I was speaking with one of our county supervisors a couple of days ago about some type of a commission that I suggested may be formed for religious liberty purposes. I said, the day is already here where if I preach on certain subjects, it's considered hate speech. The day is already here where if we stand up and just preach, say, Romans chapter 1, we're going to be viewed as bigots. And I, I told her, I said, listen, I'm totally prepared to preach what God wants me to preach and to suffer the consequences. But my concern is that we should have as much liberty as we possibly can to preach the whole counsel of God. But I'm telling you, the day may very well come before the rapture takes place when preaching the Word of God may not be easy. And some of you might need to transfer to some secular school or some Christian school where you can maybe find a little easier something, maybe some kind of physical therapy, maybe veterinarian school, maybe something, because I'm here to tell you that the ministry, the call of God for ministry, is a call to stand up courageously in your community with the gospel of Jesus Christ. The Marines often say, give us a few good men. I don't know what God has for you men in this room, but I know what I am challenging you from the word of God to be. Men of God. God called men. Men that will take your stand in your generation and hold the truth high and never compromise. And Paul said, this is my cause and I'm confident in it. And he says, I, I'm not ashamed of it. Even if I suffer for it, I'll not be ashamed. He says, it's worth suffering for. You know his testimony. 2 Corinthians eleven twenty four, Of the Jews, five times received I forty stripes, save one. Thrice was I beaten with rods, once was I stoned, thrice I suffered shipwreck, a day and a night have I been in the deep. And you study your Baptist history and you study the Anabaptists and some of the Reformers and you'll find that many of them suffered for their faith. I often think of John Huss, I stood uh, at the very place where he was burned at the stake because he preached the gospel and as he was being burned and as the flames leapt up on his body, he said, what I have taught with my lips, I now I'll seal with my blood. I would say that he was truly called to preach that message. John Philpot in Smithfield, 1555, was first stretched on the rack until his bones disengaged and his ligaments were torn. And finally, as he was burned, he said to Bloody Mary, Queen Mary, I am ready to die. God grant me the strength and a joyful resurrection. And he quoted Psalm 106, Psalm 107, and Psalm 110 as he gave his life for the cause of Jesus Christ. He was not ashamed. It's something worth suffering for. It's something, something worth waiting for. Notice in verse 12, For the which cause I also suffer these things, nevertheless I am not ashamed, for I know whom I have believed, and I am persuaded that he is able to keep that which I have committed unto him against that day. I, I love this verse. Uh, this verse helped me when I was maybe 18 or 19 and sometimes wondering about the security of, of the believer and, and wanting to really, really know that I was saved. And, and I see such wonderful uh, encouragement in this verse. And 
as you encourage others, you'll never want to give a false security of salvation. You can't give security. Only the Holy Spirit can give that to them. But he does that through the Word of God. And Paul is telling us here, he says, I, I know whom I have believed, and I, I am persuaded, I'm persuaded that he is able. By the way, we're not able to keep ourselves safe, but God is able to keep us saved. Ephesians chapter 1 says that the moment you were saved, you were sealed by the Holy Spirit of God. And nothing and no one can break that seal. It does not give you a license to sin. But thank God if we sin and if we confess that sin, He is faithful and just to forgive us of our sin. And the Bible tells us here that Paul was persuaded that he is kept 1 Peter 1 and 4 echoes this, to an inheritance incorruptible and undefiled, and that fadeth not away, reserved in heaven for you, who are kept by the power of God. If you are saved this morning, you are not kept saved because you're sitting in this room. You are not kept as a saved person because you pass out gospel tracts. You are kept by the power of the Holy Spirit of God who sealed you until the day of your redemption. Someone might say, well, are you a Baptist? Yes. So you believe once saved, always saved? That's what the Bible teaches. I believe it. I am sealed until the day of redemption. I like that song we sometimes sing. What a day that will be. When my Jesus I will see. When I look upon his face, the one who saved me by his grace. When he takes me by the hand and leads me through the promised land. What a day. What a glorious day that will be. And when I accepted Jesus Christ as my Savior on April the 10th, 1972, I'm here to tell you that from that day until this day, I have been kept by the loving hand of my God. And Paul was biblically confident of these things. Sitting there in that prison, he could have said, I don't know a lot of things. I don't know what's on Nero's mind. I don't know what's going on in this Roman society. There's homosexuality. There's immorality. There's all kinds of problems in Rome. I don't understand all of that, but this is what I do know. I know that I have been set apart by the blood of the Lamb. I know that I am kept by the Holy Spirit of God. I know that I am called by God to be a preacher in my generation. Hey, make sure that you're holding on to those things and don't ever let Satan deconstruct what God has constructed in your heart from the Word of God. He was biblically confident. Secondly, the man of God must be biblically conforming. Biblically conforming. Now notice in verse 13 an interesting phrase. Hold fast the form of sound words which thou hast heard of me in faith and love which is in Christ Jesus. Now this is the desire for my life, it's the desire for Brother Getch, the teachers here, is that while we are not perfect men, we might be a pattern for some of you in some area of your life. This is why Satan loves it when a leader falls out of the ministry or falls into sin. And here we see Paul's prayer and his desire, his challenge to Timothy in verse 13, hold fast the form of of sound words that thou hast heard of me. There, there is a pattern that comes from sound words. 
It is a pattern of doctrine, and it is a pattern of truth. The church had an outline of sound, healthy doctrine. To digress from that would be a sin. It is our responsibility to conform to the doctrine of the Word of God, to conform to the Word of God, Titus 1.9, holding fast the faithful word as he hath been taught, that he may be able both by sound doctrine both to exhort and to convince the gainsayers. And so the Bible is a pattern for doctrine. The Bible is a pattern for living. And, and a sound doctrine should always produce sound living. Your beliefs will determine your outcome or the way that you live your life life. 1 Timothy 1.16 says it this way, How be it for this cause I obtain mercy that in me first Jesus Christ might show forth all long suffering for a pattern to them which should hereafter believe on him the life everlasting. Paul said, I want my life to be a pattern for others. I want my adherence to the doctrine of the Word of God to be a pattern for others. And the reason why many times we fall into sin, or the reason why there is gossip, or the reason why uh, there is sin, is because we are not truly believing what the Bible says. But when we are truly believing the Bible, our lives will reflect what the Bible is teaching us. I thank the Lord for men in my life who reflected to me, a biblical pattern. Dr. Curtis Hudson was a man of God. Oh, listen, I know, I know that people love to say, well, did you hear about this one preacher? He cheated on his wife or he stole money. Look, you're going to hear that your whole life. And when you do, don't be one of these gullible little sheep. They're like, oh, really? What did he do? Where did it happen? You, you, listen, you don't need to put your head in the sand, but you don't need to have some weird curiosity about sin either. Somebody say Amen. It ought to sadden your heart when somebody falls out of the ministry. But I'm thankful that God's given me men who gave a pattern that showed they were obeying the Bible. Dr. Tom Malone, wonderful preacher in Pontiac, Michigan. He preached here many times. He was a powerful expositor of the Word of God. Had two honorary doctorates, one of the more educated men in our circles, a man that powerfully preached the Word of God and won souls. And on one occasion in his 80s, when the church wasn't growing the way he thought it should, he started a Sunday afternoon soul winning program and took the whole church that would go with him out soul winning in his 80s, just pressing on for Jesus Christ. I think of Dr. Don Sisk. You'll have the privilege to hear him once again this semester. Many of you will look back and say, I knew Don Sisk, a man that has preached in 90 countries a man that has raised hundreds of millions of dollars for missions, a man that is a faithful soul winner. I'm telling you, I've known these men. I, I, think, I think of Dr. Lee Robertson, uh, who preached here for us many times. I spent many, many hours seeking his counsel. I think of Dr. Bobby Robertson from Walkertown, North Carolina. Listen to me. I know what the pundits say about certain uh, uh, Baptist preachers and how they'll criticize. Let me tell you, I'm thankful that the men I've mentioned, and many more I could mention, never said a little shady word, not one time. Never disappointed me in some area of their life with something that they did. And, and I say to you that, that we need men today who not only know that they're called, but live like they're called. Who have a testimony that's clean and right before God and before men. The pattern of the words should be shown in your life 
as the portrayal of the words. Notice in verse 13, hold fast the form of sound words which thou hast heard of me. How? Notice, in faith and love which is in Christ Jesus. Paul says, Timothy, we need to live our life in faith. Uh, whatsoever is born of God overcometh the world, and this is the victory that overcometh the world, even our faith. And some of you, it's going to take faith to pay your bill. It's going to take faith to pray for someone to get saved. It's going to take faith to pass that test. It's going to be a life of faith. But let me tell you, there's no greater life than a life of faith for Jesus Christ. Just keep trusting the Lord every step of the way in faith and in love. Keep loving God and loving God's people. Paul was a great man, greatly used of God. Why? Because he was biblically confident. He was biblically conforming to the pattern in faith and love. And notice finally this morning, he was biblically continuing. Continuing on. You'll find this in great men of God. They, they may not have the same horsepower physically they once had. They, they may not uh, be able to have the stamina to go 24 straight hours of work. But, but I'm going to tell you, with every ounce of their being, they want to keep on keeping on for Jesus Christ. They want every minute to count for the Lord Jesus Christ. Look at verse 14. That good thing which was committed unto thee, keep by the Holy Ghost which dwelleth in us. Here we see that we are to continue with the gospel. You say, why do you say gospel? Well, notice the phrase again, verse 14. That good thing which was committed unto thee. What is the good thing? I believe that good thing that was committed to him was the gospel. And Paul is saying, Timothy, keep on keeping on with the gospel, 1 Thessalonians 2, 4. But as we were allowed of God to be put in trust with the gospel, even so we speak, not as pleasing men, but a pleasing God, which trieth our hearts. And here we see a challenge to continue on with the gospel. Listen, the world doesn't need our detergent. It doesn't need our vitamins. It doesn't need our oils. It doesn't need some new health juice. It doesn't need our politics. The world world needs the gospel today. And honestly, I believe that there are good Christians in Christian colleges uh, probably studying to be a veterinarian and studying for these things. And Dr. Crabb and I were talking the other day, someone could be in medicine and still preach as he does. But I'm going to tell you something. We need men today whose primary focus is the preaching of the Word of God. They know that this is what God has appointed them to do, and they continue it on until God calls them home. Continue with the gospel. And then, secondly, continue in the Spirit. Notice this, verse 14. That good thing which was committed unto thee, keep, keep, by the Holy Ghost. This word keep is an interesting Greek word, philoso. It, it means to guard in a military way. That good thing, the gospel that was given to you, guard it. Listen, one of the characteristics of a biblical fundamental preacher is that he will earnestly contend for the faith. I, I'm, I have a bit of, a, of, the, of, of the prophet gift in my life, I think, or prophecy in the sense of sometimes seeing things through the biblical lens. I saw a young man yesterday put something on social media, not a graduate of our college. It could have been, but it wasn't in this case. Quoting 
a theologian who single-handedly turned Wheaton into a woke environment. I mean, this, this man advocated conversations with LBGQ and ordaining women preachers and faculty drinking alcohol, all these changes. There's a full article today on Fox News about Wheaton and how they've completely gone away from the faith. And I know the man who engineered that. I've met him on occasion. I have no respect for him. And to see a young man from an independent Baptist college quoting him, I want to reach out through the lines of the internet and grab him by the throat and bring him to my desk and sit him down and say, don't lift up the name of a man who degraded the Word of God as he did. I did not do that because I'm a gracious, kind man. <laughs> Except towards Brother Bert here and there. But. Listen. If God committed to you the gospel, don't ever, ever, ever compromise the truth of the gospel. Now, how are you going to be able to stand true? Notice what it says there in verse 14. That good thing which was committed unto thee, keep by the Holy Ghost. It's only by the empowerment, it's only by the anointing, it's only by the conviction of the Holy Ghost. I'm convinced that every time a man tries to change his message to appease his culture, if he is saved, the Spirit of God is saying, stand for the Word, stand to the Word, don't do that, don't do that. Now, there'll be the other side, there'll be his cool, hip friends telling him, look at times change, things change. You're not going to grow a big, large congregation if you preach that old-fashioned message. But if you will listen to the Holy Ghost... You will stand as a Bible-believing preacher until God calls you home. I believe that with all my heart. Keep by the Holy Ghost. Paul was biblically confident. He knew God had called him. He was biblically conforming to a pattern of faith. And he was biblically continuing by the Holy Ghost. And may God grant to you men these convictions for his honor and his glory.